This business about allness statements is probably the easiest of our principles to explain and frankly the easiest to implement. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of May 10th, 2012. We've said last the last couple of weeks that we were doing an annual review of our uh looking over the past year at the farm and we're reviewing that in terms of the three principles. And this is our week to talk about no allness statements. That's our third principle. And you know, when we started out doing this, I think it was probably more than anything else a reaction to some memes that were popular at the time, which is like three years ago. people who were saying, I will only eat food from 100 miles away, I will only be organic, I will never do this, I will always do that. That's right. And we should clarify that by an allness statement, we're using it in the in the general semanticist uh, sense of the word that any word that excludes the possibility of exception is an allness statement. For example, if I say I always, like you said, I never will, I, you know, I mean, I think it's okay to say we consistently can do it, yeah, but to say never or always or all pesticides are banned from this farm or, you know, that's something that we just don't feel prepared to say. So that's why we made one of our principles, we don't make allness statements. And it hasn't been difficult at all. It, I, one of the things that's occurred to me is that it doesn't fall into your character or mine to make allness statements easily. Yeah, and I'm a typical woman in that uh, we know that a lot of uh, a lot of characteristics of powerless speech that often, unfortunately, I fall into as a female in our culture. Um, I'm more likely probably to acknowledge exceptions to the rule or to qualify a statement or something like that. So that's interesting. I, I'm sure you're right. I had yeah. never focused on that. And, and But it's not a bad thing for um, any person, regardless of their gender, to do it. But I'm just saying that I think, see, I just said I think. <laughs> I qualified it. But I know myself that I have a tendency to over-qualify and over-allow for exceptions just because I'm a provisional kind of person. What else can I say? <laughs> and you're a Southern woman, and Southern women are carefully trained. Yes, to avoid offense at all costs. It's how I've been socialized, that right. that's right. But in the case of organic farming, and especially starting out on a venture the way we have with no formal training, that was not our academic area of, of training, uh, we have been careful, I think, to say we don't know enough to make all the statements. At least that's the way I feel about my own knowledge base. And yes, I'm more confident, and I know a whole lot more now than when we started, and I still think as strongly as ever that we should not make allness statements. So let's talk about some candidates for allness statements, things okay. that we might be saying if we were willing to. Things like we will always be organic. We hope we are. I mean, I, I don't like the idea of <clears throat> putting poisons 
on or anywhere near my food that I'm growing. <clears throat> but I think as with so many of these statements, we don't know what the future holds and we don't know what challenges may face us or how things may change. Uh, so we, developments, that kind of thing in, in um, chemicals that, that are available. But that's one I do feel strongly about that I want to uphold because I do fear the impact of poison in our food system. And I guess the other piece of that is that, in our view, the term organic has been co-opted to some extent. Actually, that's true, yes, because it's a, on some food labels, it's really a meaningless term. And as a result, we don't really find ourselves spending much time worrying about whether this practice or that would qualify as, quote, organic, close quote. And by that you mean certified organic by the FDA. Or accepted in the culture as an organic practice. We're more focused on, does it, is it chemical-free? And, you know, is, are we doing this in such a way that we are resilient and can keep doing it down the road? Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and uh, so I guess the next candidate for an honest statement would be we will always and only be chemical-free. And, you know, here's a question. What do we mean by a chemical? Well, sure. There are certainly organic chemicals that nature uses in all kinds of ways, and we certainly don't have any problem adding additional amounts of those. For example, I bought a huge supply of 20% vinegar that can be diluted to a 10% vinegar solution that basically functions a lot like Roundup in terms of killing weeds. I really don't have any objection, any objection to using that if I need to, and I would consider it organic, but it is a chemical. Hmm. Okay. Well... I would say it definitely qualifies as a chemical in the question of whether it's whether we're chemical free. And interestingly, we've not been using that any time recently. No, I haven't. Partly because if you get it near your your target crop, it could also take it out. So I, I don't I don't think it's a solution really on a widespread scale. And I guess that's probably the next issue with this chemical-free business. Our reason for being chemical-free is not to meet somebody else's standard, not to qualify our crops to sell them in any particular market or, or market them in a particular way. Mm. Our interest is in, does it make sense for the way we plan to grow down the road? And so if we figured out that there's a chemical we can buy that we think we'd be able to get down the road and that would be consistent with our philosophy of growing, I don't think we'd be opposed to using it. Right. It's just that right agree. now our instinct is let's see what we can do without bringing yeah. in those things. Yeah. And, and so much of our uh, approach has been if we let nature take over, then we will probably see more predators for, um, we have every reason to believe we would see more um, predators for Calling pests. Calling all wasps. We have That's squash right. bugs for you. 
That's right. And and as an aside, I will say that I've been out in the garden the past few days days and seen a lot more ladybugs than I had seen a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's great to see them coming yeah. on. And, and they're obviously finding what they want, which is good news for us and good news for them. And one of the risks of just wholesale spraying is you do risk killing the good ones. You and bet. you want the good ones. Another candidate would be we always eat locally. We try, but after all, I'm about to make a trip to Costco today and buy some grapes. And Who knows they're not where local. they will be coming they're, from. Well, probably Chile. But uh, the point is, a lot of things that we like to eat, although we're hoping to narrow the field, but there are still a fair number of our uh, dietary favorites that we simply cannot grow here. But we do find ourselves asking the question constantly, like when we're eating those grapes that got flown in from Chile, we find ourselves asking, okay, what would we do if we couldn't get these? Yeah. And we think we know the answer. I mean, we have blueberries that we can harvest and, and put in the deep freeze and eat all year long, just the way we eat grapes now. So yeah, just so not quite as convenient. I, I think uh, we certainly should strive for the goal of eating locally as much as possible. But it's like we've said about everything else. We don't want to make that a ditch we're going to die in because otherwise we might be cutting ourselves off from some things that make life pleasurable or actual necessities that we've, we, for our own health, need to have. So uh, we do the best we can and we, we head in the, the direction of more local consumption but we're not making the honest statement. Here's another candidate. We will never sell anything we grow on the farm. We certainly don't need to do that now, and I wouldn't make that much money anyway. But yeah, I'm with you. We just don't know what the future holds and what we might need to do to survive. It is not our present intention to do that. Uh, we don't envision how we're going to make money selling things we grow here. As a matter of fact, it fits in with this idea about not trying to be organic because right now if we needed to sell something as organically grown, we would not be able to do so because we haven't met any standards. We haven't That's monitored right. our mm -mm. compliance with the various restrictions. And uh, I guess we could, if we're not careful, with this can turn into a 20-minute whine, but it, small producers like, Longleaf Breeze have quite a bit of difficulty satisfying those corporately designed requirements for organic, to, to be certified organic. So as a result, it's just easier for us not to plan to sell anything. Yeah. And and a corollary to that might be the, the honest statement, we will always give food away. Well, if we have it to give away, I'm sure we will try because I love to share with people um, I love to, if, if one way of showing hospitality for me, I think, is when somebody comes to the farm during growing season, I try to send them home with as many veg of their liking as I can. And we hope we will always be able to do that. But we don't say that we will always have food to give away because we don't know. And we don't know who might need to come live here with us and that would be their nutrition too. So in other words, now when we're growing for just two people, we've had some excess. But if we were to have more family members come to live, then we might not have that. So, That's right. 
Um, we just need to keep our options open on all of those statements. So that's sort of how things shape up on the allness statement front. Um, like I say, easiest <laughs> to explain, easiest to implement. It's not all that complicated. We thought we might spend just a little bit of time at the end of the program today dealing with sort of our quasi-principle, always learning, always teaching. That's something that we decided to implement um, informally over the past, I'd say, year or so hmm. after we've gotten to be, right. since we're not beginners learning subsistence farming anymore, nope. we've taken on the role of, yes, always continuing to learn. There's that always word, but continually learning. But we see ourselves moving more and more into the role of teaching and sharing our knowledge with others. So on the learning front, uh, just today, as a matter of fact, later on today, I'll be uh, participating in a webinar on fire ant control, not as a teacher, just as a pupil. I will be trying to learn more about controlling fire ants uh, organically if possible, but uh, if not organically, then in as chemical-free a manner as possible under the circumstances. Yeah, and, and one thing we should say along those lines, we're not necessarily trying to stay organic in the non-food-growing areas of the farm. Um, if we need to kill fire ants on the other side of the property where it's just woods, I have no compunction about using a chemical on and it. And by the same token, if we need to put some nitrate on grass on the other side of the property, we won't mind doing it, although I will acknowledge that I've, I've had a bag of nitrate sitting out there for about three years, and I finally just gave it away because we were not using it. Yeah. Um, and another example, of course, is where we live, we have the pest control people come in and spray because I don't want roaches and I don't want, you know, any number of and we are grateful for them yeah. to do that. So, um, but again, I'm not growing food in here, and um, it's just worth it to me to be as bug-free as possible in my dwelling. And you, back on the learning front, you are constantly using the computer to look up things on the Internet, and so am I. You know, yes. What is, how, and, you know, how deep do I plant these, how far apart? When do I plant them? What does garlic look like when it's ready to harvest? Yeah, I mean, I'm always doing research. and What uh, is that weed? <laughs> what is that pest? What is Right, I think it's um, very consistent with our master gardener training to know that that's part of what you just have to do is continue to, to learn. There's always a, there's, there are new developments, especially coming out of research-based institutions like University of Illinois, Auburn, um, other you know, a lot of times our research takes us to that type of source, and I want to, you know, be up on the latest. So that's how you do it. So when it comes to teaching, uh, obviously we've been helping out with a couple of workshops lately that um, the extension agents were putting on, and mm -hmm. we were there to basically schlep stuff. We were not trying to help teach those, but we were helping. Right. But at some point we may be, and... Um, we've actually been asked to do guest presentations uh, various places. Uh, there was a garden club not too long ago. We'll be actually speaking to our own Master Gardener group in July. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So, oh, so that's in July. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, uh, you know, we have those, those kinds of things going on. Also, uh, we make videos. 
the Organic Moments videos are a real source of pride to both of us, I think, um, because they're uh, an easy way that we can leverage the skills and the tools we have available to us to provide truly useful instruction to the public. Yeah, and, and we right now are not promoting that. You know, we're not going out into the, you know, online or something and advertising, but they're there, and we hope that search engines will bring people to those videos. They're on YouTube, right, so people Absolutely. can find them. And uh, this podcast has become a teaching tool. Uh, really didn't start out that way because we didn't know much to teach. Right. In fact, it started, I'd say, more as a log for ourselves, just so we could go back and listen to it and say, so that's what we were struggling with in 2009. So that's how we did it. How, and, and that was helpful. It to was. Have and a log. it continues to be helpful. We still refer to those early podcasts when we're trying to remember and reconstruct, okay, what were we, what were we thinking yeah. <laughs> when we did that? But uh, and and they have become, I think, a teaching tool because, as we've acknowledged, we're not beginners anymore. We're sort of learning how this works and how to pull it all together. And if you use the ten thousand hours rule, we're about, um, I guess, a, almost. Well, a little more than halfway there. Oh, good. So, so we ought to be to... getting somewhat knowledgeable about how to bring it all. Yeah, I look forward to the next 500 hours. Um, so... 5,000. Oh, 5,000. Excuse yeah. me. You're right. 5,000. But I, actually, I'm looking forward to the next 500 as well. Well, good. That's a good good <laughs> it's, development. It's a, you know, you have to take baby steps. Um, well, I think here's a question we want to maybe leave people with or leave ourselves with is, should we add another principle? Should we add always learning, always teaching to our, and so we'd have four principles instead of three. And we've had some conversation about that. I'm frankly not certain. I don't know how I feel about it. How do you feel about it? It has the word always in it, so that may be a. (laughs) That that sounds like an all this statement, doesn't it? Constantly (laughs) or consistently learning. Uh, We'll we'll work on that one. How about that? And, but we will acknowledge that uh, very likely until we're dead, we will be learning and we will be teaching. That's just, the, it's in our DNA. We are good at it. And there seems to be uh, a lot of interest in the information yeah. that we're passing along. In this day and time, there is a lot of interest in not only self-sufficiency, but organically growing food. So... Um, we hope to, to be back in touch with you about our decision about that at some point in the future. Well, we're out of time today, but thank you so much for jo- joining us, and we will look forward to catching up with you next week. On a subject completely different from the annual review. Right. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.